Hello and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Madison Langley from Dairy Australia. New research has revealed a substantial difference in milk production within the herd between cows that are milked first in a pasture-based grazing system versus cows milked towards the end. In this podcast episode, Dairy Australia's national lead in feed base and nutrition, Dr Rodrigo Albanos, and Agriculture Victoria's research scientist, Dr Megan Douglas, discuss how the Smart Feeding Research Program arrived at these findings and some of the strategies farmers can implement on farm to reduce the milk production gap within the herd to get more milk from the same resources. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of Dairy Pod. Uh, I'm Rodrigo Albornoz, uh, the Australia's national lead in feed-based and nutrition. And I'm joined today by my former colleague, Megan Douglas, who's a research scientist at the Agriculture Victoria Research Farm at Ellenbach. Megan has a wealth of knowledge in pasture management and in and cow grazing behavior. And today she will share with us some insights on the research that her team has been conducting at Ellenbank and some more some of the latest findings. Welcome, Megan, to our podcast. Thank you very much, Rodrigo, and thanks for asking me to join you today. <laughs> You're so welcome. And uh, now uh, Megan, can I please ask you to tell us a bit about your background in the dairy industry and, and what is it that you do at Element? Sure thing. Uh, so I've been involved in the dairy industry since 2014, and that all started right here at Ellenbank. Uh, so I've been a research scientist for nine years now, and over that time, the research that I've been doing has changed quite a little bit. And since finishing my PhD, I've taken a lead role in the coordination and delivery of our experimental work. So my work in particular has looked at the effects of time away from pasture and possible mitigation strategies that farmers could implement to alleviate these negative effects. Great. Thanks, Megan, for that. And uh, Megan, uh, we were chatting offline and, and uh, you mentioned that the, this marketing team has found some, some interesting differences in milk production between cows that are milked first versus those cows that are milked towards the end of, uh, of the milking uh, within a herd. In, in, uh, in those grazing systems. Uh, and, but also the team has invested a lot of efforts into measuring individual cow pasture intake. Um, now, can you please tell us why do we need to worry about individual cow intake? Well, individual cow intake, particularly of pasture, is important for us to know, but it's not particularly easy to measure. And researchers here in Australia and around the world have actually been looking into this for quite a few decades. But previous work by my colleague, Dr. Marley Wright, who's also in the Smart Feeding team, has shown that there can be up to 26% variation in pasture dry matter intake between cows. So the individual cow intake is something we definitely need to consider. As well as this, a lot of farmers may allocate pasture and feed grain for the average cow. So this means that cows that are producing more milk might be underfed and the cows that are producing less milk could potentially be overfed and perhaps put that extra energy into body condition, but that's conversation for a completely different day, (laughs) I'm sure. Um, So knowing the individual cow intake can help to appropriately allocate feed for a more even nutrient intake in the herd and then to meet the requirements of individual cows. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and that that individual variability might explain some of the the, the differences uh, between the expected intake and production from uh, 
predicted by uh, Russian formulation software to the ones we actually see on farm. So that's uh, that's a really good uh, reason for uh, focusing on measuring individual cow intake. Thanks, thanks for that, Megan. And the, uh, I mentioned before that the team was has also been looking at uh, uh, milk milk production differences according to uh, milk in ore there. So, and and what why why do you think farmers should be paying attention to the order in which the cows return to the paddock in, in after milking? Well, there's a number of different factors there, Rodrigo, and I think. Well, what we've seen in case studies and and what farmers will no doubt be able to tell us anecdotally is that there is a consistency in milking water within a herd. So the first cows are always first, the last cows are always last. There is a little bit of ambiguity in the middle. But I think milking water, there's a couple of factors here. So milking water can tell farmers a lot about their cows, particularly their health. So a change in the cow's usual place in the milking order could indicate that she is or she's becoming unwell. She could be on heat, for example. So there's a health aspect to milking order. But what we've been focusing on here at Allen Bank and the research that we've done is looking at how the milking order of the herd influences the pasture intake of grazing cows because that consistency in milking order is going to define which cows get access to how much pasture when they return to the paddock after milking each and every day, because we know that that milking order is consistent. Now, do you see this uh, being an issue for large farms only, where cows uh, might need to walk long distances and spend long time waiting to be milked? Well, a lot of the research that we have done has focused on large herds, but no, it's not only an issue for farms with large herds. So a herd that is milked through a smaller and perhaps less efficient dairy would also be impacted. So a big part of the issue is actually the amount of time that the cows spend away from the paddock. So that can occur on farms of all different sizes. So no, it's not just specific for those large farms and with those large herds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if 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 you have a, a an inefficient uh, you know milking routine, that could also that could also influence uh, the timing at which those later cows get back to the paddock, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it's you could look at it compare the different dairies that are that are out there a, a rotary can get through cows a lot more cows and a lot quicker than perhaps a smaller herringbone can so even if there's a big difference in herd size between cows on one farm that are milked through a rotary and then cows on another farm milked through a herringbone they could still you know there could be cows still spending the same amount of time away from the paddock each day whether that's two or three hours yeah excellent now, getting a bit more into the, the research and experimental design uh, and, and how this was tested at the Ellenbank Research Farm, uh, can you tell us how this time away from pasture was, was tested at the farm? Sure. So our time away from pasture experiments at Allenbank were tested by taking a proportion of cows from the main herd and then simulating a large herd. And we did that by returning cows to the paddock in small groups of cows in 45-minute intervals over a three-hour time period. So we also kept milking water consistent 
which meant that these small groups of cows returned to the paddock either first, last or in the middle each and every day. And that was essentially how we were able to to test these experiments. And those cows um, were initially arriving to the dairy at a, in any specific order or how do you allocate cows to, to those um, uh, time away treatments? Yeah, sure. So we we could probably get really into the research side of things here, but when we are choosing cows for our experiments, we obviously want them to be healthy and um, producing an appropriate amount of milk for the, the season and the time of year that we're doing our research. Um, but we actually didn't consider the original milking order of the cows in the herd before allocating them to one of the five different time intervals. So some of the cows that may have ended up in uh, the group of cows that go back to the paddock first, perhaps in their normal position in milking order in in the herd, they could have come in last. Um, And that's also a really important part of our research as well because I'm sure as we'll get into a little bit later with the results, um, it, it really shows that we can manipulate the milking order, which is what we did in these experiments, and, and still get um, the decline in milk yield that we see um, when cows spend um, more time away from the paddock. As you mentioned, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, jump straight into the results. What, are, what, what were some of the findings? Uh, so there's, there's a number of results from this work, Rodrigo, that I think are really interesting. Um, so the first is that we saw a decline in milk yield when cows spent more time away from, from the paddock and from pasture. Um, so cows that returned to the paddock last each day produced between five and six kilos of milk less than those that returned first. So our average decline over um, a day is 1.9 kilos of milk per cow per day for every hour that they're away from the paddock. So that's mm-hmm. that's, that's quite a lot of milk. Yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's, a, yeah that's, that's a large amount of milk that uh, yeah, cows are uh, not producing or not contributing to the vat. Exactly. So there were a couple of things that we thought perhaps influenced this. Um, Initially, we did kind of speculate that the decline in milk yield could be due to the reduced time budgets of the cows that returned to the paddock later. So in this experiment or in these experiments that we did, the cows were, the cows that went back to the paddock last were spending three hours each milking away from the paddock, which means that that's six hours less time in the paddock each and every day. So what we found, however, was actually that there was no difference in the amount of time that the cows spent eating once they got to the paddock based on their milking order. And we're actually able to measure this with some devices. Uh, they're called Rumi watches um, and we use them in our research and they're able to distinguish using a noseband sensor the differences in the jaw movements of the cows, so whether they're able to, uh, whether the bites are uh, for grazing or whether they're rumination. Um, What we also were able to tell from these devices was while there wasn't a difference in eating time between those different groups of cows, what we saw was that cows that got back to the paddock last would spend a greater proportion of the time that they were in the paddock standing up, walking around and grazing what grass was available. Um, And then they would use the time that they're away from the paddock to do most of their rumination. Obviously, we know that dairy cows have a a diurnal pattern in their grazing behaviour. They'll spend more time ruminating overnight. But I feel like from observing the cows in the time away from pasture experiments, what we saw was that 
once the cows got to know their new milking water and if they knew that they were going back to the paddock later, they would use that time where they were standing around waiting to be milked to ruminate. We also, I think a big part of this as well is also what's happening in the paddock when the cows go back as well. So what we did look at was how the mass of the available pasture and then the nutritive characteristics of that pasture declined over a grazing session as well. So on average for the three experiments that we did, we saw that 65% of the available pasture, which is the pasture above that four to five centimetres, has been removed by the time that the last cows get back to the paddock three hours after the first. And that's that's a lot of pasture that's mm-hmm. gone. But that's also coupled with a decline in the metabolizable energy and the crude protein that's available in the pasture. And then the remaining pasture also becomes more fibrous as well. So we were able to observe that over a grazing session. And what these results have shown is that the reduction in milk yield is due in quite a large part to the reduction in the quality and the nutri, uh, sorry, the quantity and the nutritive value of the pasture that's available to the cows that return to the paddock last. Right, yeah. So that that means that uh, no one, not everyone, gets a, a fair share at the dinner table when uh, after all the cows return to the paddock and and uh, yeah, those later cows uh, need to uh, eat what's um, what's left and it's obviously not the not the the greatest quality that is left uh for those later cows so yeah, yeah that's very exactly interesting. yeah because we know that cows are selective grazers so the ones that get back to the mm-hmm. paddock first they've obviously got the best pick of pasture um and then you know the girls that get back two to three hours later are, are obviously restricted with mm-hmm. the amount and the quality that they've got left very interesting results five six uh, kilograms uh, difference that's that's a massive uh, difference and and this was conducted in a very controlled setting at a research farm uh, but um, you know we know that um, in a commercial farm we have uh, several factors that could be uh, influencing these differences um, have you guys looked into uh, those uh, same effects within a commercial herd? We have, yes. So before we did this research, we actually went out and looked at a couple of case study farms, which showed us there was that consistency in milking order. And then potentially also that that five kilo difference uh, between the first and the last cows. But after we did the experiments here at Allen Bank, which as you said, are in that control research environment setting um we then went out to visit a couple of commercial herds so Mm. when we went to those farms we recorded the entry order of the cows into the paddock after their morning milking and then we still looked at the depletion of pasture mass and nutritive characteristics every hour for the first three hours in that morning grazing session as well um, to replicate what we've done here at allen bank so we wanted to see if the results that we obviously achieved here at allen bank were also seen on farm So the commercial Mm -hmm. herds that we looked at had between 275 and about 385 milking cows. Um, So we obviously simulated those large herds and and something of that size and and high when we did the research here at Allen Bank. Um, Probably the only difference between what we saw on the commercial farms and what we did here at Allen Bank was that 
the, the cows in the commercial herds return to the paddock over a two to two and a half hour period instead of a three hour period that we observed here at Allenbank. But we were still able to see some differences. So uh, the last commercial farm that we went to um, in May last year, we saw a three litre difference between the cows that went back to the paddock first and last, um, but those cows were in later lactation. Um, but we were still able to, to observe some milk yield differences between those cows. Right. So those differences uh, still uh, are seen, observed in in, a, in the real world. So that's uh, that's something that uh, yeah, it, it clearly uh, there's clearly an opportunity there to uh, lift up production of the whole herd. Um, and were there any uh, strategies that you looked at to address the the, the milk differential? There was, Rodrigo, and there are quite a wide range of mitigation strategies that farmers could implement. Um, just a, an example of a couple here that might include holding cows back so that all the cows return to the paddock together. Uh, farmers might pre-top the pasture in the paddock so that cows can't selectively graze. Uh, they could split the herd in half or reserve fresh pasture for cows that return to the paddock later or even reallocate the amount of grain based on milking water. Um, so as I said, this this list is obviously not exhaustive and I'm sure there are farmers listening to this today that might have implemented a, a different mitigation strategy or have one in mind um, than the ones mm -hmm. that I've mentioned. So I'll just briefly um, maybe discuss the couple of mitigation strategies that we looked into. So my colleague Marley Wright and I focused just on two. Uh, so Marley's focus was on preserving fresh pasture for cows that return to the paddock later, while I focused on reallocating the amount of grain fed to cows based on their milking water. And a big part of the Smart Feeding Project is looking at optimal allocation of on-farm feed resources. So we're not looking at bringing more feed onto the farm, but having a better allocation of what's already available. So the two mitigation strategies that we tested, we looked at in both early and late lactation. When we're reserving fresh pasture, what that involves is setting up a strip wire fence in the paddock uh, so that cows can return to the paddock, or the cows that return to the paddock later have a fresh strip of ungrazed pasture that's available for them. So previous work that's been done, previous research has looked at moving the strip wire fence over a grazing session or a day, but that's not what we did here. Uh, so we just made sure that the cows that got back to the paddock later had that fresh strip of pasture that wasn't touched by the other cows. When we're reallocating grain based on milking water, what that involved was taking some grain off the first cows that were milked and then offering it to the cows that were milked later in the herd. So in the time away from pasture experiments that we did, all of the cows would have been offered six kilos of dry matter of grain regardless of when they were milked. Um, but what we did in these mitigation strategy experiments was offer the first cows four kilos of dry matter and the last cows, eight kilos of dry matter. So as I said, we looked at these, we did these experiments in both early and late lactation. Um, and what we found in both stages of lactation was that cows that returned to the paddock first were slightly penalised in their milk yield if they were either reallocated less grain or if fresh pasture was reserved for those later cows that returned. Um, but cows that returned to the paddock last for both of those mitigation strategies produced more milk than they would if they're in a control environment um, where they just had access to 
the same paddock as the other cows and they were all fed the same amount of grain. Mm-hmm. For both mitigation strategies, the increase in milk yield for cows that returned to the paddock last wasn't enough to increase the average herd milk yield in late lactation. But in early lactation, our preliminary analyses were quite positive and showed an increase in the average herd milk yield of 1.1 kilos of milk per cow per day if fresh pasture was reserved and an increase of 0.8 kilos of milk per day per cow per day when grain was reallocated based on milking water. Um, So these results are obviously promising, um, but Mm -hmm. we would probably need to do some further research looking at like how long that positive benefit is seen in early lactation. So we only looked at a really small window of time. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, how far into that that early lactation period do we keep seeing this benefit um, before it drops off? Right, right. Interesting. So uh, neither of these uh, strategies require additional uh, feed inputs, but it's it's more about the reallocation of, of feed. And, and so that that means that that there is there's an opportunity there to to get more out of what we're already feeding to those cows yeah exactly is, yeah yeah that's that's a really good uh, uh really good outcome thanks uh thanks megan for sharing that that's that's really good research um now with these strategies um you know, we know that sometimes changing things on farm, changing thing, changing how thing, how we do things on farm can have an impact on labor. Uh, what what impact do you think some of those some of these strategies could have on labor requirements on farm? I think that would really depend on the mitigation strategy that the farmer would potentially implement. Um, so, if you're reallocating grain, perhaps based on milking order. It could be more simple for farmers that have that are able to individually allocate grain in the dairy um, that have an automatic system. Uh, some farmers don't have that in their in their dairies, um, so that one might be a bit hard. If we're holding cows back, it could just mean something as simple as having a loafing area or an area at the back of the yards that's large enough to hold all of the cows. And then when milking's finished, the gate's opened and they all head off to the paddock at once. Um, Still, obviously, an an extra job to do, but Mm. there could be some benefits there. I think if we start looking at mitigation strategies like pre-topping pasture, uh, that's obviously going to require additional labour because you're going to have to get one of your staff or yourself to head out on the tractor and pre-top the paddocks before the cows go in morning and afternoon. And then if we're looking at reserving fresh pasture, there's obviously going to be an element of setting up an extra fence and changing gates perhaps during milking so that the first cows have their own strip and then the last cows or the cows in the second half of the herd have a different strip um, and and that's going to be a different labour requirement as well. So it's all going to depend on which mitigation strategy the farmer would like to implement and that's also going to depend on what they're, what facilities they have, what the dairy is capable mm-hmm. of doing and, and how many staff they may have. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that, that leads to the next question, which is around how will farmers know which strategy is best to implement on their farm? Yeah, so as I said, like farmers are going to have to consider their current labour requirements to see which strategy is best for them. But I think as well the important thing is 
each individual farmer will have a different strategy, a different best strategy to use. So what mm. works well for one farmer won't necessarily be what works well for another. And even if they're next door neighbours, what works for one farmer on, on the farm next door won't work for the one on the other side. So I think the farmers themselves, they're obviously the best ones to know which mitigation strategy would be best to implement on their farm because they're the ones that are there each and every day doing the work. So they'll understand best which mitigation mm -hmm. strategy they should use. But I think they're going to have to consider a number of things as well, maybe farm layout, paddock layout. Uh, as I said before, can the dairy individually feed cows? Um, there's probably just a number of things to to think about but in some cases you never know it, it might be more of a trial and error system um, that helps mm -hmm. the farmers find out which strategy works best for them yeah yeah no good good thanks thanks for that megan that's uh that's really good insight and and, and obviously your your uh your experience in dairy farming certainly helps with uh, uh providing that uh that that farmers overview on how the research can be implemented on, on commercial commercial herds. So that's that's really good. Thanks. And I know that the the team has also been testing different technologies, different sensor technologies at the Ellenbank Research Farm. And are there any any technologies that could potentially assist farmers with uh, these strategies that you uh, you looked at, or or in trying to minimize that that milk gap? within the herd? I think a big part of technology would be the dairy, for starters. Um, and as I've mentioned a couple of times already, that what the dairy is able to, to do in terms of uh, individually feeding cows, if it can or if it can't. But when we were out on the commercial farms, particularly the one we looked at last year, they actually had a really good system using um, bat latch on their gates. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that worked really well um, in in their instance uh, it went off in the morning um, or for morning and afternoon so it would let the cows out of the paddock at a certain time and then they would start making their own way to the dairy so I thought that looked like a really good system to use but there is the potential for virtual fencing as well um, mm. so it's currently not able to be used in many parts of Australia Victoria included but I think we've seen some pretty good results from uh, over in New Zealand and they look like they've potentially got a system over there that could really work to help allocate different areas of pasture to different groups of cows in the paddock. So I think it's a it's probably a wait and see or watch and look kind of uh, scenario there, but hopefully there's some good technology that we can use in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I remember seeing a while back some um, automatic uh, fence lifter so it's a, it's a pneumatic arm and with a small small motor run by solar power and uh, and it automatically lifts a portion of the fence so cows can pass onto that that fresh uh, uh, pasture whenever and and that's uh, and you can set up a timer for that so yeah there are definitely some uh, technologies out there that could be uh, fitted for these strategies. Yeah, it sounds like there's a whole range of technologies available, which is great. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Are there any other simple changes on the day-to-day -day operation of the farm that, that 
that you think could help reduce the gap in milk production within the herd or lift production of the herd? Yeah, Rodrigo, I think I think an important thing is that it could be something as simple as just making sure that the staff on your farm um, understand the importance of, of getting all the cows back to the paddock as soon as possible after milking. And um, I'm sure there's, there's cows in many herds that probably have a habit of, you know, just hanging around the dairy after milking and, and not heading off straight to the paddock. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you get them on their way and, and get them going to the paddock, that's going to help. And obviously it doesn't mean rushing them back. Uh, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. running them to the, to the paddock, but making sure that they, they head off from the dairy uh, once they're finished. Um, I think cow flow is probably another area. Uh, obviously that's going to depend on on everyone's different farm. Um, but if... Perhaps if you you know you can try and keep everything uh, flowing quite well. Um, it, as I said, it depends on, on everyone's different farm. And if you if you've only got perhaps one person that gets the cows and then milks them, obviously there'll be more time that the cows might be waiting around um, in the dairy. But perhaps if you know you can do something as simple as it's just creating a, a better flow for the cows. It might only save a couple of minutes, um, but you never know, it could help them to yeah. have more paddock, uh, more pasture available when they get back to the paddock. Um, I think another thing as well is farmers perhaps hopefully would be willing to, to try one of the mitigation strategies that I've they've talked about today um, mm-hmm. and just you know, it's probably not quite a, a simple thing um, to do, but you could always just um, give one of these a try and see if it works on your farm. Um, you can even reach out reach out to us here at um, Allenbank um, and we can uh, have a more in-depth discussion about what we've done and, and how you can implement it on farm. But um, farmers, yeah, could try it for themselves and then assess whether or not what they're doing is sustainable um, in the long mm-hmm. run. But I think... I think a really important message here, Rodrigo, is the team here at Allen Bank, we've done the research to show the effects of time away from pasture and, and demonstrated two mitigation strategies in particular that have the potential to increase herd average milk yield and provide more nutrients to the cows that return back to the paddock. But the farmers are still going to be the ones that know best what can be done on their farm to try and uh, alleviate the negative um, impacts of time away from pasture and, and trying to implement a mitigation strategy that will help them because they're the ones that do the work day in and day out. And every farm's managed different, um, slightly different, so they'll be the ones that can take the information that we're providing and implement it on their farm. Yeah, excellent. Now, those are really good points, Megan, and and uh, and yeah, you, you pointed at some simple things that, that farmers can start looking at right now uh, and even before they start looking into implementing some of these strategies that, that you've been looking at with the team. So that's uh, that's probably a good starting point. And if, if, they are, if they don't want to jump straight into implementing those strategies, um, I, think, I think this is a, a good place to uh, leave the discussion at. Um, Thank you so much, Megan, for your um, sharing your knowledge and insights, and and uh, thanks again for uh, yeah taking the time to share 
this with um, with our audience, and um, we um, we're looking forward to uh, seeing some more of your um, research and and your uh, upcoming results in the, in the near future. No worries, Rodrigo. Thanks again for um, inviting me on here today. Excellent. Thank you. If you would like to find out more about smart feeding or other dairy innovation research programs, you can find it at www.dairyaustralia.com.au forward slash herd and feed innovation. We have also placed the link in the episode notes. If you have any questions about this podcast or have suggestions or ideas for future episodes, you can get in touch with us by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thank you for listening and bye for now.